Welcome to Crusher Talk, the show about whatever's on my mind, with Haley Crusher Kane. Um, just got back from a nice walk, so uh, my energy levels are up. I was thinking about what I was going to talk to you guys about today, and the the thing that kept going around in my mind is the idea of white space. Um, I don't mean that literally, but it could be literally the idea of a blank page, a big life change, uh, a blank bit of time in your schedule that's unaccounted for, um, loss, um, all of these things. Uh, I think that the way that one reacts to white space in their life has a huge impact on how their life goes, like what the trajectory is. Um, And whatever is distracting us from white space in our lives, however you want to see white space, whether it's emotional space, physical space, creative space, space to go wild, space to do whatever you want, whatever, whatever it is to you or to create, Whatever is distracting us from that space is kind of the issue. And releasing that thing, whatever that distraction may be, is extremely uncomfortable and extremely annoying and difficult for everybody. And um, it's just good to notice that. It's just good to notice what the distraction is from the white space and why what the white what the white space represents. Is it exciting? To have the blank page or is it horrifying to have the blank page? I am absolutely no stranger to the blank blank page literally as someone who worked at newspapers for many years. One, uh, two such newspapers that we had papers come out twice a week and another paper that was once a week but continually looking at the white page and thinking people are going to read this. They may not give a shit and throw it away afterwards but I gotta write something and um It definitely was a practice in starting and starting again and moving forward incrementally and learning to manage manage time and all of those things. But I think now more than ever, when I feel white space, it feels exciting. It doesn't feel scary. Um, I think also when you talk about life changes or even the loss of a person in your life, There are people in the toxic positivity movement that will tell you that um, loss is not loss. Loss is great. Let's just fast forward to the part where we feel better. But loss is loss. And many times starting with a clean slate, doing something new, making pivoting, making a new decision in your life, um, approaching that blank page, growth, creation, all these things are... um, I oh, see, I just lost my train of thought right there. Let me have some coffee. Um, wow, I just completely lost my train of thought. Um, having that in your life can be very scary. Oh, this is what I was going to say. And can be a loss in the sense that say you have like five kids and they all go off to college and you're an empty nester. That is a that is a loss. A loss is a loss. A loss of a person is a loss. A loss of um, a friendship is a loss. A loss of a job, even if you didn't like it, 
is a loss. Any sort of change is a loss and it should be respected as a loss. I think that bypassing that is really dangerous and not productive, but it's the people that get stuck in that and wallow in that fear and that loss that kind of miss the point because on the other side of that loss, there is a lot of growth and growth equals creation and creation equals what we are all here to do on this planet, whether it is to create a beautiful family life for your family or a beautiful meal or a piece of art or a policy, a law. Um, we're all creating our, our worlds and we're all creating either from places of embracing the blank page or being fearful of it, avoiding it. So um, I don't know. I've just been thinking about blank space and the times in my life where I had to basically start over. Um, I think back to my early 20s when I was living in Long Beach. I had a 1968 Oldsmobile Delta 88 gigantic boat of a car that was getting a parking ticket every single second of every day, or, or at least it felt like that, getting towed. Um, I was in part of a, a social scene that was at the time being completely ravaged by drugs and alcohol abuse um, to the point where it was so bad that people didn't even realize how bad it was. If you can kind of relate to that, it just became normal. Um, that was happening. Um, there was a lot of outward stimulation, external stimulation in the city with shows every weekend and things going on. And yet I wasn't actually creating music or creating anything. I was just like kind of bewildered, just like living in the city. The last straw was the guy that does the elote, like the Mexican corn. He like rides a little bicycle and has like a little bell. Um, you always see him just riding around like that's the corn man, neighborhood corn man. I mean, that's this is a very Hispanic neighborhood and city. So that, that was not uncommon. Anyways, um, I returned home from some sort of event to see do not cross police line around my apartment that uh, indicated that something was very, very wrong. Um, and we realized that there was a dead body uh, on the on the ground and it was the corn man and he had been shot and he had been shot probably for like $20. And I have that memory in my head. It's very traumatizing, actually. <laughs> um, but a lot of these factors came together uh, much more that I won't get into because I'm not here to overshare. I'm just here to share things that I think might be universally helpful to everyone. Um, it required me to make a change, which were, which would basically what my my change was to leave the city, move back in with my dad into his basement. Um, kind of a you know that kind of move can be seen as like eh, that's kind of a loser move, but for me it was a fantastic move. I was faced with a complete blank slate of what the fuck I was going to do with my life. And from that blank slate, a lot of amazing things happened that I, I kind of manifested that I wanted. I wanted to, to be a working writer and I wanted to learn how to be a better writer. And I started working at newspapers and that was really cool. And then I did my own zine for a while and I was learning how to self-publish. That threw me into the whole community of musicians and artists in the town of San Luis Obispo. I ended up moving to San Luis Obispo, uh, started a bluegrass band, learned banjo like out of nowhere because I had nothing to do and no friends. Like, again, this is all blank space. It's very scary, but this, the blank space led to so many great outcomes 
because I was like willing to experience it and not be like, oh, I have to feel distracted all the time. I, back in the city, I could just go hang out with all my friends or I could go to a show every night or go down to the bar. Like it required me to forge a new path. And so I bring this up as an example of just how loss and change and the fear that comes along with that can be like this beautiful double, double edged thing. Um, and I think at certain points in everyone's life, I think it's like every seven years or something, like your whole life changes. What is that? I should probably Google that. Or maybe it's every seven years, every cell of your body just is different. Have you heard of this? I'll have to look, I'll have to look it up. Um, I think that the concept is basically that you're going to reset and refocus and that's going to keep happening in life. It doesn't end. It doesn't end when you're out of your 20s. It doesn't end when you're probably 70 years old. I'm sure there's just and I've talked to so many people. I've interviewed so many people. I think that that is probably why everyone's story is so interesting. I've really never interviewed or met somebody whose story ended at like forever after. Like it's always been the next thing. Um so I don't know. I've just been thinking about that. And I think part of why is I've been reading. Um, I was actually complaining about the lack of arts in our community here in Slow. And my friend Neil Breton, who's an amazing artist who we've worked with, check him out. Neil Breton, B-R-E-T-O-N, um, was like, you know what? You should read The Great Divorce. It's really Christian. But don't think about that. Don't think about the Bible stuff because I'm not really into that stuff. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out. So um, I picked up The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And um, it is great. It is so good. I highly recommend this book, actually. Um, not only is the the writing beautiful and ethereal and it's just like, it's just like illuminated. Like, I don't know how he's doing it, but his words just glow. Like the descriptions just glow. But I will read you the basic plot summary without giving away too many spoilers. And just tell me, don't tell me because you can't, because you can't reply. Um, and you won't reply. But doesn't this just sound amazing? Okay, so the plot summary is, the narrator inexplicably finds himself in a grim and joyless city, the gray town, where it rains continuously, even indoors, which is either hell or purgatory, depending on whether or not one stays there. He eventually finds a bus stop for those who desire an excursion to some other place. The destination later turns out to be the foothills of heaven. This is not really a spoiler because this all happens within the, within the first like couple minutes of the book. He waits in line for the bus and listens to the arguments between his fellow passengers. As they wait for the bus's arrival, many of them quit the line in disgust before the bus pulls up. See, they're not ready to leave. When it arrives, the bus is driven by the figure of Jesus Christ, who we, later, who we learn later is the only one great enough to descend safely to hell. Once the few remaining passengers have boarded, the bus flies upward off the pavement into the gray, rainy sky. That really is like the first five seconds of the book, so I'm really just like, not giving too much away. Um, but I loved the idea of like, there's these people that are literally in purgatory. And one of the things about this town that's so interesting too, is there's grass and it's green and it's pretty, but like you, you can step, you can step on it, but the grass is like, like made of glass. Like the grass is, it's visually beautiful, but you can't actually experience it in any tactile way, which I just felt was like, that is such a good way to describe depression <laughs> or, just, I guess, feeling like you're in purgatory, like, this is so nice, but I hate it. Or this is so nice, but it's strangely foreboding. 
Um, and I, I think that this book, the concept is really about, well, to me, what I'm taking away from it is that in order to get to quote unquote heaven, you have to give up what you have, which may be a fine purgatory. You may live in a, like the best purgatory. It's like the cushiest purgatory. It's only slightly horrible, but as long as you distract yourself, it's kind of okay. And it's the purgatory everyone thinks is so great. In my mind, I'm thinking about living in like uh, Southern California, Los Angeles area. To me, that was purgatory. I'm like, it's sunny. It's beautiful. There's palm trees. It makes my soul hurt. Like I never really felt connected to that place. And I still don't feel connected to that place. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And it is such a sunny and somewhat shiny, you know, superficial place that it is hilarious to think about, like, how dark of a place that is. But um, in order to, like, move on from that purgatory or whatever that is in your life, you have to, like, make a decision to to go into the unknown, face the blank page, create something new, uh, encounter challenges that are going to inspire growth. All these things are, like, not, quote, unquote, fun, but... It really is the journey that we're on, and I feel like it is a journey that just continues and continues. It just doesn't end. And that whenever you think you've reached the end, that's when like, oh, no, that's when the next journey is happening. And I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy the ride or enjoy your life or not you know, feel good in the moment, but I think there is a sense of striving in the people that I connect to the most that are constantly trying to create, constantly trying to express or reflect back um, the culture or, you know, working with different art mediums. I just find these people very, um, enthralling to be around and I admire them and I pick up a lot of good shit from those people. So that's just kind of where I'm at right now. Just thinking about that. I think I'm also still kind of in that like new year, new thing. And I know my last one or two, maybe two podcasts ago or something that I was talking about how, who, who cares about the new thing? The old thing's great. I definitely agree with that still, but there is a sense of like starting a new year. And, um, I hope that everybody is starting it with a sense of like excitement for the, for the, um, the white space ahead, thinking about how you want to fill it up and maybe creating that space if you don't have it, because I mean, time and space, are so important. I was talking to one of my really good friends about this and I won't say who because it's, you know, but she was saying that what she wanted most for 2022 was time and space. And isn't that what we're all like, like so much money is spent in the pursuit of time and space, right? And so much like, so many decisions we make gobble that up. It's really interesting, and it's almost like you're trading time and space, the most valuable, precious resources on the planet, for what? Like, think about it. I mean, I'm all for making money, but it's like, what What do you really need to be happy, you know? Um, speaking of, like, starting over and, like, the blank space kind of thing, I have been booking the Midwest tour more, and... It's like kind of wild, like venues like the Tree Bar in Columbus, Ohio, that we started off playing like the first time to a pretty good crowd. They were pretty jazzed, really fun show. Second time, double the crowd. Everybody's having a blast. Like 
just really good energy, good people, selling lots of, lots of merch, having a great time. All the bands are stoked. Third time, like pandemonium, amazing. Like this is a tiny little bar. It's not even like a fancy bar. And just feeling like, oh, we just can't wait to go out for a fourth time. And we're going to book this Midwest tour. Of course, 2020 stopped that. And that momentum went away. But not only did the momentum go away, that bar doesn't exist anymore. And it is that is a loss because you just think, wow, we had so many good times. We saw this community kind of grow around us. And I'm never going to play there again. That's not going to be on the, the tour, that's for sure. Um, even more crazy is Hexagon Lounge in Minneapolis, which had a great community feel as well. Really old bar. I want to say built maybe in the 20s or 30s. Beautiful building. Burned to the ground after the George Floyd uprising during. And... At the time that it happened, I was, like, more concerned with, like, what was happening with our country. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm not going to play there anymore. But um, it is kind of crazy. I mean, also, going and talking to these people that do still book shows in different cities and are, like, the tastemakers or the gatekeepers, however you want to call it. Sometimes they're just the venue owners. Sometimes they're just a cool person that wants to help out. It's, like, a whole new universe. Like, we're booking a whole new planet. And part of me is just like, I hate this and this is bad and terrible and this is a loss. But another part of me is like, well, what is going to happen to live music? And maybe this is a weird time for growth. Maybe some old things are going to get washed away with this. I mean, maybe the people that come up after in the ashes are like more interested in creating a different kind of experience. I I don't really know. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently, the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast, which I recommend for any musician who's trying to do their their own thing. And they were talking about how these newer bands are using these specific amps that the sound, there's no sound on stage. The amp um, has an electronic signal that is signaled, blasted out to the sound guy and out into the main house speakers. So if you're on stage, you're not hearing any guitar noise at all. You're just hearing the drums because those guitars and the bass are coming through um, into the mains from the mixing sound guy. And this is a way to manipulate music so that there is very little feedback and very little distortion happening. So you're getting a really clean, really controlled uh, front of house mix that can be like exactly what you want it to be. Um, And then, of course, everyone on stage has in-ear monitors. Now, that just sounds so crazy to me, right? But then they took it further and were like, okay, this is happening and it's crazy. But imagine if... Um, or no, it wasn't DOI Musician Podcast. It was um, Jughead's Basement. Oh my God. I, well, I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's Jughead's Basement, which I also recommend. It's all about interviewing with punk rock musicians and DIY musicians and artists. It's fantastic. But um, yeah, it was a different podcast. But anyways, they were like taking it a step further and saying like, what if the people in the crowd had like earbuds in and there wasn't even like front of house mix music coming out of a speaker it was just being directly like 
it would be bounced to the to the sound guy and then bounced to everyone's earbuds. I'm not really sure how that works. I'm actually the worst person to talk about this sort of thing. But wouldn't that be bizarre? So if, if you walked into that show, you would hear nothing. You would see see people dancing, enjoying it. You'd see people on stage rocking out and and there would be no music. And my first thought, they were like laughing about this concept, but my first thought was like, that could actually get around a lot of like the issues with when, like I've played a lot of shows that got stopped by the cops because we were playing in a place that was too close to a residential area. And there's even venues in our area that are legit real, like nice venues that have to end at certain, you know, earlier times. This is true in most cities. You're going to play at venues like that where they're like, well, we got to end at 1130. We got to end at uh, midnight sharp, you know, um, because um, there's issues with surrounding people. What if you could literally have like a crazy rock concert that was loud? Um, I mean, loud in people's ears, but not loud in general, like happening in like a very crowded city, like in a place where you could normally not do it or near in a suburban rural neighborhood, like in my backyard, like. I'm not saying that's good, but like, it's kind of foolish not to think about maybe we don't know what we don't know. Like, who knows what's going to happen? It is a blank slate. It is a loss. But like, I have no idea what's going to happen with the new venues. I have no idea what's going to happen with the future of music and the future of VR and watching concerts in VR and live streaming and all this stuff. It's just such a trip to think about. So I'm just putting that in your brain because I guess it's interesting. And um, I hope that you enjoy my book recommendation. It, it really is a beautiful book. I would love to just read passages to you guys because there are certain passages that are just, they almost feel like you're looking at a beautiful painting, if that makes sense. And um, it's a nice one to go to bed to for sure. It's also humorous. It's not like a super serious book. It's very like tongue in cheek. It's very funny. There's all these people that you meet that there's like a woman who's pissed off that I think she's pissed off because she's going to be in hell and her son is in heaven. And she literally wants to drag her son from heaven into hell because she loves him so much. And it's this whole like discussion about how clinging to people in that sort of possessive way is not really love, but the way that they do it is so he does it is so cheeky that you don't feel like you're getting like a lesson, like a history lesson. Um, I should say that it is written in 1945. So there's definitely some weird language in there, but I always enjoy that. And to kind of see like how writers would, you know, describe different things or how people talked. I mean, it is kind of fun and it's a little, the, the, the dialogue is sometimes a little silly, especially when they're on the bus. Um, so yeah, I will give you that recommendation. Read it. Don't read it. Whatever. Um, there's plenty more I could give you and I'd be happy to do um, a podcast where I just give some recommendations both on books I'm reading. There's some graphic novels that are just like killing it right now. Um, I'm so lucky that I'm married to somebody who is constantly bringing me stuff for my read pile. And it's always stuff that he's like, I know you're going to like this. All right. There's a teen detective, but it's set in the 70s. and He knows all the specific things that I'm going to like. So I have a really large read pile. And thanks to like my scatterbrain, I'm not sure if it's ADHD. I want to self-diagnose myself, but whatever is happening with my brain, I'm always reading like 20 books at once. So um, I could definitely do a podcast on that. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's ethical though, to be like, read all these books that I've read 20% of, but 
I do finish them too. And I do finish podcasts like this one right now. Goodbye.